So Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Um, I want to begin by sharing a little bit about uh, something happening in Israel right now. It was just this past week, Yom Ha'atzma'ut, Israel's Independence Day. And uh, I like keeping connected with the Israeli popular music scene. I just, I love Israeli music and, and I think there's so much to learn and, and glean from uh, what Israelis are listening to as we think about uh, the Jewish people and where we are right now. And one of the most popular singers in Israel right now is a young artist. His name is Ishai Ribo. He is a French Israeli artist and he is one of many current pop stars whose music is richly adorned with Jewish texts and religious intention. I could actually give a whole sermon about this intersection of religiosity and Israeli popular culture, but that's another topic for another time. But I was thinking about Ishai Ribo. I've been thinking about him a lot, actually, and listening to his music recently because he released one of the most beautiful songs I've heard about COVID-19. The song is called Keter Melucha. It was actually hearing this song, I think, that was the catalyst for me for weeping for the first time in the midst of the pandemic. I think until I listened to this song, I was so focused on getting our family back here from the U.S. and settling in at home, getting the kids adjusted to homeschool, that I wasn't really making space for the real emotion to come through. But it was in my kitchen actually late the night before the Seder as I was cooking that his song came on just in my Spotify playlist and tears started to stream down my face. In the song, he uses the timeline of the Jewish calendar and of the Parshiot to mark how quickly our world had changed. It was kind of a rehashing of our collective trauma, but set to the cycle of Jewish time. And it was so powerful to me. I want to share a bit of the lyrics. Um, it sounds more poetic in the Hebrew, of course, but you'll get the idea. Ben truma between the parshiot truma and titzaveh, a slightly different birthday party. Everything seems to be just fine. Stages full of people and love. Between Titzaveh and Kitisa, Esther, Purim, drinks and joy. Who will stay and who will travel and who will pay the consequences? Between Kitisa and Vayakel, the world stops gathering to be quiet, to be closed down. Ishmael, Edom, and Israel. Ben Vayakel a Pikudei, between Vayakel and Pikudei, there is no one in the city or the field. There is no one to deal with. The Tower of Babel is once again confounded. I encourage you to listen to the song later. I'll put the link on our Temple Shalom Facebook page after Shabbat, or you can also email me for the link. It's interesting that usually when in years like this one we have Acharemot and Kedoshim together as a double parasha, I kind of do a little happy dance. I love Kedoshim. We've talked about it a few times already today. It's, I think, my favorite parasha because of those ethical foundations that Carl mentioned are at the center of Torah. And I also like that I don't usually then have to talk about Acharemot, which is one of the parshiot, which 
honestly, I don't always feel a strong sense of connection to. So it surprised me when this year, as I was preparing this drush and started to think about the parasha, my mind went immediately to Acharemot. And the reason is because of Ishai Ribo, that Israeli singer. You see, the beginning of the parasha and the selection that we read this morning is all about this ritual that the Kohen Gadol, the high priest who was Aaron at this point in Torah, goes through on Yom Kippur. And he would enter the Holy of Holies and transfer the sins of the people onto a goat, a scapegoat, if you will, to be sent into the wilderness. This selection of Torah is pretty far removed from our contemporary connections to Yom Kippur. Especially in the reform movement as generations ago, our reform rabbis replaced this reading, which is traditionally the morning reading on Yom Kippur, with that section of Nitzavim from Deuteronomy that's also so beautiful, Choose a Life. And this ritual, though, from Acharemot, from our reading today, is also the focus of the traditional Yom Kippur afternoon Avodah service. We get a little mention of it in our Reform Machzor, but not so much. The traditional Avodah service is part of a very long and ancient anonymous work of liturgical poetry, a piyut, which describes the service of the high priest in the Holy Temple on Yom Kippur. Just last year, Ishai Ribo created a new version of this poem that was very, very popular. It's amazing to me how popular something liturgical from Yom Kippur became on Israeli radio. His song is called Seder HaAvodah, the same name of this service on Yom Kippur. But in his version, the focus is the emotional life of the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, as he performs this service, the sacrifices that were part of the temple ritual. Ribot's song helps us imagine ourselves in the shoes of the high priest, and it opens a window into some of the possible emotions of being so immersed in divine service. Near the beginning of the song, we are reminded of the ritual first introduced in the parasha we read this morning, of the sprinkling of the blood of the sacrifice. But in Ribot's song, there are no sacrifices, no flesh, no blood. Instead, much more attention is paid to the human experience. It stems in the original from the Mishnah that the priest takes the blood and sprinkles it on the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple, famously counting as he done. One, one up and one down, one up and two down, and so on until one up and seven down. The counting is in Ribot's song, but it's not drops of blood that are being counted. This is what he sings in his lyrics. If a person were able to remember the flaws, the imperfections, the sins, surely he would count this way. One, one and one, one and two, one and three, one and four, one and five, and he would quickly give up, unable to bear the flavor of the bitterness of sin, of chances missed, of loss. Although it sounds like we've moved away from the temple, away from the high priest, 
we are supposed to imagine what the high priest of old might have been thinking. What was he thinking through these actions? Perhaps this. I stand here alone representing the people. I have my own flaws, my own lapses and regrets. One, one and one, one and two. Later, when the high priest emerges again in Yishai Ribo's song, he has changed into the priest, changing from the regular priestly white garments into the golden ones worn only by the Kohen Gadol. Then again, a confession and more counting, but this time it's different. He sings this. If a person were able to remember the kindness and the goodness, all the mercies and all the redemptions, surely he would count this way. One, one and one, one and two, one and three, one of a thousand, many tens of thousands, wonders and miracles, which you have done for us day and night. If the first time he was crushed by the sins he couldn't enumerate, his own and those of the community around him, this time he is uplifted by the thought of the kindness bestowed by God that can't be measured. Again, his thoughts are about counting, but the magnitude of the count overwhelms him, filling him with a sense of gratitude. There's a beautiful analysis of this song by Shira Hecht Kohler and Aaron Kohler, who are a superstar Jewish studies scholarly couple. But talk about this point of the song. Right here in this part of the song, the music pauses and then again soars. The arrangement captures something about Yom Kippur, about the part of the day that we have reached. And it is one that we often feel at the end that moment of Ne'ilah as it comes to a crescendo at the end of Yom Kippur. The high priest steps out and is overcome with the emotion of the moment. It says he trembled in the place where he stood. For those who are standing in the closing gates of Ne'ilah, the anxiety, the end of the day actually makes way to relief. We know those of us who have stood and connected with that liturgy, the profound meaning of that moment, the release, the moment that explodes into joyous singing. I recently heard someone describe this time of pandemic as a kind of na'ila. We are currently starting to consider how to re-enter the world and how we would like to act and what we would like to see in this new chance on life that we have been granted. Yes, we are in a time of worry still, of quaking and anxiety, but we are also in a time of blessing, of time, an opportunity to consider what our lives might be like in this next chapter of blessing. If we can take that imagery of Na'ila with us, that sense of being at the end of Yom Kippur, how profound would that be? I think it's a great challenge for our time that deserves all of the introspection that we can grant to it. At Ne'ilah, we ask God to open the gates of righteousness so that we can go through. We take a breath, we stand up in front of the open ark, profess how, we, how aware we are of our weaknesses, but how open we are to God's guidance. 
We express our deep gratitude for all the beauty in the world, even if we all too often focus on the difficult. And then we count. We say Shema Yisrael one time. We say Baruch Shem Kavod three times. We say Adonai Hu Elohim, the eternal God is one, seven times. And immediately standing in front of our ark, we often with a sense of awe, relief, joy, and gratitude. As we hear the final Tekiah Gedolah, that last great blast of shofar, we know that we can start again. Shabbat Shalom.